Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Amen. Woo! He called my name. <laughs> he rolled my stone away from my tomb. We talked about that last week, right? We we're in the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 24. We're about to wrap her up today, Lord willing. But last week we were in the garden, the, the, the place where Jesus was buried. And it was dark that morning as the ladies were there to finish the job of putting to rest all their hopes, all their dreams, all the promises buried. It was dark. But when they got there, the stone had been rolled away. Jesus was revealed as risen. Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Hallelujah. We finish up with the, the gals, we read in uh, verse 9, then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Everybody that was just gathered, waiting, wondering, perplexed, we read in this passage. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, and their words seemed to be like idle tales, fevered babblings, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Marveling, admiring, in awe, an attitude of just worship and praise as in his darkest moment that Christ is alive. He is ridden, risen. Peter would write, we read this last week, in 2 Peter in chapter 1, to us he would say, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Amen? And so here we are, Resurrection Sunday, early that morning. Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection, to be followed shortly by all the saints, the church. But here we still are in the midst of this first day, as people are trying to wrap their heads around what is going on. Well, we're going to look at what's happening here in beginning of verse 13. Now, behold, okay, so another incident, another issue, not the gals and, and Peter and John at the garden, but a different situation, same day. Now, behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. It says two of them. We read just earlier that they told these tales to all of them that were gathered. Two of those that heard these tales, or two of those that were part of that group anyways, were now traveling it says, to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Now, there's a lot that we're going to unpack in this. It's one of my favorite passages in the scriptures to teach on. I love to teach on this if I'm traveling to another group of people, a different church or at some kind of a conference and they want me to pick a topic. This is one of my go-to chapters right here, the road to Emmaus, because you may know, or at least I, 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 I hope I would be, uh, that pastor that has that hobby horse of preaching the Word, teaching the Word, expounding upon the Word of God, the Scriptures, and helping people understand what these words from Genesis to Revelation are all about, right? Different pastors have their hobby horses, right? They get on them, and maybe they just like to talk about marriage. Every Sunday, they talk about marriage, or they talk about end times and prophecy. And, you know, I love to talk about the Word, the Word fulfilled. And I think we're going to see in here, I'm warranted in, in riding that hobby horse. Jesus wrote it. 
okay? And we'll see that coming up. But here we see now the two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. Now, nobody knows for sure where Emmaus is. If you do some studying into that, people have different ideas. But the scriptures do tell us that it was about 60 stadia. That was how they measured in those days, or about seven miles from Jerusalem. The, the consensus is most people say that it's on the slope going down towards the Mediterranean, okay, as it would go down to the coastal plains. Nobody knows for a fact, but anyways, they're, they're out of town, okay? Everything we hoped for, everything we dreamed, our Messiah, he's been crucified, he's buried. We were following him, but where are you going to go? I mean, he's dead. And so they went maybe back home. They're going to Emmaus, uh, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. As we talk this morning and as we go through this, I'm mindful that I've got a lot of passages to cover rather rapidly, you know. And uh, it's kind of like Cheryl would always tell me, work and talk, right? You know, you can talk, but work while you're talking, right? And here we probably need to walk and talk, okay? We need to get it in gear, um, Friday mornings, I go out uh, with a couple of my close friends, and we, we, we go for a walk. We take about a five-mile walk, and it's just a time where we just together and talk. We walk, and we talk. You know, I love doing that on the path over here by the golf course that comes around over to the Hayburn Park, about three miles, another wonderful place to walk and talk. Uh, my wife and I and some of us uh, are in the habit of going out to some of these 5Ks. We love to go up to Redfish on Memorial Day for the Redfish 5K. Or uh, coming up this Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving morning, before you eat all of your turkey, we go to the Turkey Trot up in Paul, a fundraiser for the uh, fire department of there. And it's a 5K, right? And I love it on the t-shirt. It says, run, walk, waddle, or trot. <laughs> And we waddle, okay? And I'll be the first to say, I'm not a 5K-er. We do 5Ks. I got the t-shirts. But we walk. And it takes us probably about an hour on average just waddling to get about 3.1 miles, 5K. Um, now, they're going double that, 7 miles. So at just a generous ambling along conversation, you can say about 2 to 3 hours of just out on the road talking, okay, this morning, going on down to Emmaus, and they talked together of all the things which had happened. Man, you know, from the time they heard of Jesus till the time they saw Jesus to the time they followed Jesus till he comes up into Jerusalem, all the miracles they've seen, and then everything he did in the temple, and then the crucifixion and the burial and, and the resurrection. There's, there's a report going out from some people saying, he's not there anymore. He's missing, and they're trying to figure it all out. So it was, verse 15, that while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Wow. Hallelujah, right? We read in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus was seen by over 500 people after his resurrection. This is two of the 500, right? We read of some of the gals and Peter and John. So uh, we're down to 490 at least yet are going to see him. But this morning... Jesus decides to pull up and, and walk with them. And I love that about, like, my walk on Friday morning. You know, we always walk and we talk about life. We talk about ministry because we're all in ministry. And uh, pretty soon we talk about Jesus. But, you know, you walk with Jesus, you talk about Jesus, pretty soon you find out you're talking to Jesus. You know, it just brings you to that place of prayer where you're having that intimate time together with him. And here he is, he's drew near, and he went with them. But it says their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And we're going to see this is the problem in this passage of, of what they know and what they don't understand, okay? It's this battle of facts with faith versus facts without faith. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, faith is... The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And here we're going to see lots of facts, but not mixed with faith. Not yet. They can't see him. Their eyes were restrained. Verse 17, and he said to them, what kind of a conversation is this that you are having with one another as you walk and are sad? In the NIV, uh, that says, as they, then they stood still with their faces downcast. As they're walking along, Jesus pulls up and they're talking about all the events. 
the trial, the crucifixion, the burial. And he's like, what are you guys talking about? And they stop. And they're just sad. This is where they're at. Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? I got to get the DVD on this one. Can you imagine the twinkle in his eyes? Oh, yeah? What things? Are you the only one in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on these days? Oh, yeah, I heard about it too. Yeah. <laughs> what things, right? And I just love it how Jesus draws things out of people, right? He, they, 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 they need to build their faith, and Jesus takes that mustard seed of faith and just grows it in them. But he starts right here. What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They just recited their reasons for being discouraged, for being downcast, a list of facts. We know the facts. They knew him by name. They knew what city he came from. They knew of his ministry. They knew of his miracles. They knew he was declared to be Messiah, deliverer, savior. They knew he was murdered and they knew he was missing. All valid facts, but their eyes were restrained and they were discouraged because the facts weren't mixed with faith evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. And so they're going through this, you know, you know, and I just think it's rather fun. You know, today we have a lot of people who want to challenge Christianity. They want to challenge Christians. They want to challenge Christ. And it really, really comes down to the resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection. Did he indeed rise from the grave, right? And uh, they, they, they'll bring out all their empirical data on what they know about life and biology and physiology and uh, all of their different concepts, right? And, and they'll stack up all this empirical data, testable, verifiable proof, They'll use their, their five senses, if you will, right? Their sight, their hearing, their smell, their taste, their touch. They'll bring up their suppositions or their suspicions and what everybody's saying and what are all the questions. But without faith, they fail to find Jesus. It begins with faith. And you can take all the knowledge in the world. You can come to church every Sunday forever. <laughs> we can go through the Bible from cover to cover. You can go to Bible college, seminary. You can get a degree. Colleges and sadly seminaries are full of professors who don't know Jesus. They've got the facts, but they lack faith. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones. How do you like that? Jesus comes up and goes, dude, you're, you're a fool. What's a fool? The Bible defines a fool. In the Old Testament, uh, Psalms 14 for, for one a fool is somebody who says in their heart, there is no God. 
That's the definition of a fool. Somebody who lacks wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Their foolishness. We read again in Proverbs that the beginning, the fear of God, is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One leads to understanding. But without Jesus in the middle, without Jesus at the heart, without Jesus at the beginning, and Jesus in the end, you really can't see what's right in front of your face. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all, the pro- all that the prophets had spoken. Not, not the Christ who have suffered these things and entered into his glory. This is kind of interesting. Some of you that are like nurses or medical professionals, that word slow of heart is bradycardia. <laughs> your heart's just not working, man. It's just not, it's just not getting, it, getting with it, right? You, and, and really, it's a new euphemism that translates to weak faith. You, you may have faith. You may have a hus- mustard seed of faith. You have a, a little thready, faint pulse, but you're slow of heart. It's true, you did see him. It's true, you did follow him. It is true that you worshiped him. It's not saying that you didn't, but man, you're discouraged because you're looking at the mountain of facts and you're not seeing him through the lens of faith. And therefore, you're slow of heart. You're discouraged. You're in a dark place. It can happen to us real easy in the days that we live in. And again, I, I, every pulp, it's getting old. I listen to some of my message sometimes. It seems like every Sunday I talk about, did you see what's in the news this week? Right? And everything, I'm just gobsmacked of things that I never believed could possibly happen. I never even imagined them. And the next week they're in the news. And it's just, it's going like that. And when you look at all that data, scientific, imperial facts, and fail to see it through the proper lens, it's really easy to be perplexed, discouraged, and downcast. O foolish one, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I love this. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? They should have, if they had been paying attention. We should, if we have been paying attention, believed in everything that all the prophets have spoken. God's spoken in advance. They have come to pass. He's proven himself 100% accurate. Why would you stop believing now? Ought not Christ to have suffered first? He must suffer. It's necessary for him to go to the cross to take the sins of the world and bury them, never to be resurrected again, that he may be resurrected in eternal life, that those who would believe on his name, his finished work on the cross, would have eternal life. It's absolutely necessary. This is the heart of the gospel. Now, these were common, simple men, And it said Cleopas, we read in chapter 19 of Luke that uh, there was a lady at the cross, Mary, the wife of Cleopas. So it could be that these two are Cleopas and his wife, or Cleopas and somebody else, or a different Cleopas. But nevertheless, they were simple men, or a husband and a wife, and they had lost hope. They had lost joy. (laughs) They were experienced a sense of spiritual desertion. But they had not lost desire, not completely. They still love to talk about Jesus. And, you know, this is one of the things I encourage all of us. When we find ourselves where, you know, our train's kind of gone off the rail, we're we're in a a moment, okay? Yeah, it's hard to see. It's dark. I don't know which way to turn. So all I do is hang on. I talk about Jesus. I talk to Jesus Jesus. And I look for other people to comfort me in Jesus. They hadn't lost their desire, but they hadn't yet seen the necessity of the cross. He said, have you not believed that all that the prophets had said? I love what uh, the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 10. 
This is speaking of Christ. In chapter 10, verse 5, Therefore, when He, Jesus, the Christ, came into the world, He, Jesus, said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 5, as Jesus is being interrogated by the Pharisees and the religious know-it-alls, He would say to them, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you find life. But these are they which speak of Me, and you have no life in you. Because you just, you just want the law, you just want the words, you just want the facts without the faith, without Messiah, without the, the cross. Just give me the happy Jesus, the fun Jesus. I don't want all that dying to myself and taking up my cross daily. The prophet spoke in Isaiah. 53, in verses 3 through 5, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by His stripes we are healed. In Isaiah chapter 55 through 7, another example of what the prophets taught concerning the necessity. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, or chapter 2, despising the shame, he went to the cross for the glory that was set before him. Daniel, in chapter 9, verse 26, uh, says that Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 10, another example, and the Bible is full of messianic prophecies of Jesus Christ and what He would do for us, but specifically of what He would do on the cross for us, the necessity of it. They will look, He says in Zechariah 12.10, they will look upon me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for firstborn. So it says, and he, Jesus, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. I love them. He began to teach, to explain, to expose, to, in some translations it even says, to translate, to give a clear understanding. This word for expounding deals with sticking very close to the Word. Jesus didn't explain these scriptures about His death and resurrection in flowery parables and metaphors. He just told straight. He showed them the scriptures and explained what the scriptures mean. That's what we attempt to do here. Uh, inductive Bible study, trying to exposit or expound upon or open up, reveal the Word of God, not the words of the pastor, not the words of the commentator. What does this Bible say? And this Bible is evidence of everything we hope for. It's a sign that Jesus is still the same today as He was yesterday and will be forever. The words that He spoke hold fast. Uh, theologian Morrison who writes, he says, it is a sign to us that he's still the same, though he has passed into resurrection glory, that he still goes back to the old familiar scripture, which he had learned beside his mother's knee. Amen. Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so, right? 
And you just, you, you go back to the beginning. Uh, Jesus told them about Messiah, about him. He told them Messiah was the seed of the woman whose heel was bruised in Genesis 3.15. That he was the blessing of Abraham to all nations in Genesis 12. He was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was the man who wrestled with Jacob, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the voice from the burning bush, the Passover lamb, the prophet greater than Moses, the captain of the Lord's army to Joshua, the ultimate kinsman redeemer mentioned in Ruth, the son of David who was a king greater than David, the suffering savior of Psalm 22 and the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He was the wisdom of Proverbs and the lover of the Song of Solomon. And he's a savior described in the prophets as a suffering servant in Isaiah 53. He's that princely Messiah of Daniel, the one like the Son of Man who would establish a kingdom that would never end. Jesus God is our Savior, who knows the Word of God perfectly because of His intimate union with the Spirit of God, who is its primary author. (laughs) He expounded to them in a broad outline all the Scriptures that referred to Him, from the books of the Old Testament right through to the end. Genesis to Chronicles. Now, you and I would probably say Genesis to Malachi. But in their day and in Jesus' scriptures, it would have run in that order, but it would include all the books of the Old Testament, and Jesus just started to open up their minds. What a Bible study. Woo! Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> so he expounded to them. Stick, he stuck close to the Word, took scriptures that were familiar with him, and opened their eyes. It says in verse 28, going on here, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated they would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them, right? He was uh, indicating he might go on. He was acting as if he might go on, uh, but not too much different than we read in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, the church of Laodicea, that he stands outside the door and knocks. And if anyone would open... He would come in and sup with them and they with him, right? But he's just waiting for that invitation. He's a gentleman. He, he, just, he, he draws near to them. He walks with them. He questions with them. He shares everything about Messiah with them. He's going every way down the road. But still, what's lacking? An invitation. Jesus, would you come home with us? Would you come to dinner with us? Would you stay with us? (gasps) That's what I've been waiting for. That's what I've been seeking, that you would want me to be with you. Asking him to be with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did he not our heart burn with us while he talked on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? How is it they finally recognized who this person was? Was it that he was friendly and congenial? Was it that he was wise and full of knowledge? Was it that he could recite scriptures to them? What finally tipped them off. He broke bread. Now, this wasn't the communion meal. Jesus many times broke bread and blessed it. We read at the feeding of the 5,000, he broke bread and blessed it. And then he distributed it to everybody, again at the feeding of the 4,000. Certainly in the upper room, earlier that week, he would say, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And many have speculated, and I think with warrant, I think there's good cause to believe that as he broke the bread and those sleeves of his tunic pulled up, they could have seen the nail prints in his hands. And they realized, this is the Lord. And and, and as 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 soon as they realized, as soon as they understood what was going on, it says he vanished. 
He came to do what he came to do, to bring them to Christ, to show him that everything I had told you is true. Have you come to that place in your life where you have asked Jesus into your heart, received him into your home, broke bread with him, and saw all that he did for you and recognized he's my Lord. He's my Savior. It's simple as a prayer. It's the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means God, creator, ruler of the universe, creator of life, yours and mine, judge of the universe. He's Lord. He's the boss. I believe it. And then confess with your mouth. <gasps> He's alive. He's alive. God has raised him from the dead. If you will do that, you will be saved from the coming judgment of those who rejected the price that God paid to redeem us and make us children and take us home to heaven. All you have to do is pray that prayer. It's really simple. Pray with me. Father God, I do believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I confess that I am a sinner condemned to death, but saved by grace by your finished work on the cross. I accept forgiveness of sin and your Holy Spirit as a deposit of life everlasting today and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's simple. Woo! <laughs> Didn't our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us? Verse 33, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how it was known to, the men, known to them in the breaking of bread. Woo! Now talk about energy, talk about fired up, right? This isn't some 5K, this isn't some run, walk, waddle, trot. This is seven miles. They just finished seven miles, had dinner, and now on a full stomach, they run seven miles back to Jerusalem. And if the indication of Emmaus is where it is, they would have run uphill to get back, right? It was already drawing near to evening. They didn't want to go on, so it's late in the day. They had a full day, and, but they're just so full of the Holy Ghost, right? Filled with the Spirit. Just joy overflowing, just energy. They have, no, And that we've got to go tell people. We've got to share what we've seen. He's alive. And when they get there, what do they find? Everybody's telling them, you guys, you missed it. He's alive. And they're like, oh, what do you mean? Missed it? We, he was with us, you know? And, and all of a sudden, this party just breaks out, right? It was known to them in the breaking of bread. Verse 36, And now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. I love this. He does this quite often. It's one of the things he loved to say. Peace, right? In the Hebrew, shalom. Okay? Here, as it's recorded by Luke, in the Greek, it's Irene. But the idea and the concept is, peace I give you. Not as the world gives you but peace I give you, a peace that passes understanding, a peace that transcends the circumstances, the fact, the empirical data of the, the news feeds of the day. I'm giving you a solid, whole hope and joy and rest in me. Peace, he comes into the room. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you have seen. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But they still did not believe for joy, right? It started off that morning, they couldn't believe because they were perplexed. They were lost. The tomb is open, the stone is rolled away, there's no body. Next thing you know, these guys on the road, 
they're discouraged, they're downcast, and, and they don't believe because of the facts. Too much data, I don't understand. Lack of faith. Now, they can't believe because of joy. Too much joy. I'm, too, I'm beside myself. Am I really thinking right and rational? But they were excited. And how is it that Jesus revealed himself to them? He comes in, he says, look, I'm not a spirit. They thought maybe he's a phantom, right? Some kind of a ghost. He goes, touch me, feel me. These are real prints. I love it that when we think about heaven and the things that are going to be in heaven, we know this world is all going to burn. All of our stuff, all of our possessions. The only thing that's going to be in heaven is those who Jesus has redeemed to him. And then he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth for all of this. But there'll be one reminder of that old earth, that old life. One thing in heaven. We, we read about it in Revelation chapter 5 as they're gathered around the throne and everybody is just celebrating. They look upon the lamb as though it was slain. And all throughout eternity, we'll see the nail prints and the piercing, the scars from the crown. And we'll remember, we'll never, ever, ever, ever forget how much he loves us. What a fantastic sacrifice he gave to redeem us. And that's what he shows them. And that's what he wants us to see today. He's alive. You want to know I'm alive? Just touch my hands. Touch the wounds in my side. There was one missing that night. It's not here in Luke's account. We read it in John's account. You remember who didn't make it to that particular night? Anybody? Thomas, the apostle, one of the 12, but he wasn't there. And when he comes back the next, you know, after that, they said, you missed it, Tom. Jesus was here. I'm never going to believe it unless I put my fingers in his nail prints and put my hand in his side. Next week, there's Jesus. Ah, uh, Tom, come here. Yeah, Jesus, what is it? Put your finger in here. Yuck. Oh, I, I don't want to do that. Now, God spoke to me in this personally. This is a mic thing, so you take with it what you want. But it's like you can believe. In fact, in John's gospel, when Thomas believed, I believe you are the Christ, you are God, the, the Son of God, right? And he says, blessed are you who believe, but more blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And that's us. But what a blessing. We believe and we don't have to put our finger in his side. Well, we laugh and giggle about that a little bit, but I think you might track with me on this. There are a lot of people that resist the witness of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. They've got the data, they've got the facts, they've heard the story, but they just don't have the faith. And sometimes what God has to do is to take you to the cross. And it's there, broken and wounded. Death swirling about you. Tragedy, crisis, your world crashing in on you, not wanting to touch this thing. Divorce. Child has died. Overdose of a close friend. Deep wounds. And you wouldn't believe me because I told you, you're going to have to put your hand in here. You're going to have to feel. You're going to have to understand what I went through for you. And some of us have to go that way, right? The school of hard knocks. But blessed are those who believe. But while they still not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? <laughs> so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Oh, I love that about Jesus. Everywhere he goes, he's eating. He's cooking. He's handing out food. There's a banquet waiting for us. It's wonderful, you know. It's, it's, and, and something that this underscores in case it's just a little theological, theological point, 
but Jesus isn't just some kind of spirit. He is resurrected body, soul, and spirit. Just like you and I will be resurrected body, soul, and spirit. The whole kit and caboodle. That's what resurrection's all about. We'll get to heaven. We'll have real bodies. We won't have angel wings. And I'm not saying you won't play a harp, but most of us won't. That's not how it'll go down. We'll be much like we are today, but sin-free. No penalty of death. No sorrow. No pain. But this is what Jesus came to represent for us. And he says, let's eat. They had some fish and honeycomb. They had a meal together. Verse 44, and wrapping up, if I can move fast enough here. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. We kind of went through a little bit of a list, a short list, but as you read your scriptures... You have warrant to look for Jesus on every page because he's there. He is the word made flesh. And all these things speak of Jesus. So whether you're in the book of Judges or you're in the book of Chronicles or you're in the book of Ezekiel, we're all looking at stories and issues in history and everything that speaks of and points toward Jesus Christ and his work on behalf of mankind that we would spend eternity with him. So this is what Jesus does. He opens the Bible from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, teaching that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the prophets. Prophecy. Prophecy come to pass. The Bible is mostly prophetic. God's saying what's going to happen before it happens so that when it happens, we can see that God knows what he's talking about. No other religion, no other religious guru, no other prophet, no other religious scriptures dare to make prophetic proclamations. And yet the Bible does thousands of times and not a single one has fallen down that hasn't come to pass. Save for the biggest lion's share of prophecies that speak of his second coming. That he will return. And that he will take his church to be with him. He will judge the earth for the, what's called the great tribulation. And then he will save those Jews that remain and come to dwell with us. We'll come to earth for a thousand years. He'll make the heavens and the earth. These prophecies are yet in our future, although I'd say many of them we watch even happening about us today. We opened up singing about, this is the song, sound of dry bones rattling. Good bones. You know, this comes out of Ezekiel 36 and 37 and 38. Prophecies of the alignment against Israel by all the nations surrounding it in the end times war. We look in Revelation chapter 13 about the Antichrist and the beast and the false prophet and the things that have to do with buying, selling, and trading and the mark of the beast. We look at things that are talking about world governments and this one world, all this stuff, okay? I could go on, you know I could. It's all right on the doorstep. You don't have to go hunting around to find what I'm talking about. It's just there. We're there. These must be fulfilled. Verse 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Whoo! These things must be, and they are. And now, I'm sending you out to tell the story. Worship team, come on up. We're going to wrap it up here. You're being sent. In John's gospel, in this 
evening where Jesus is up there eating the fish and the honeycomb and sharing all these scriptures to him. It says in John's gospel, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And the Father, he sent his only begotten Son to preach and teach, to expound the scriptures, to share the truth of the cross of Christ, that those who would receive and believe would be born again. And so now they're being commissioned, receive the Holy Spirit, be sent out in the Holy Spirit, and preach repentance, turn from your sin, and you will be saved, remission of sins, and it should be preached to all nations, right? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, this is the best part, lo, I will be with you always. We're going to do this together. Verse uh, 48, and you are witnesses of these things. We're going to jump into Acts next week. If, you, if you're familiar, Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 1 picks up right here at the end of the Gospel of Luke. But there in Acts chapter 1, we're going to see this promise of the Father, which is truly the, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the world. We read about it in Joel chapter 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterward, I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, shall preach and teach the word of God. And your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Okay, that's coming up in just a chapter or two away here. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But right now, he's telling them, tarry, not just yet, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. As you receive God and you receive his word and his truth and you receive him as your Lord, as your Savior, you believe and you are born again, it's important that you allow him to do the work of filling you with his presence, filling you with his word, filling you with his truth, filling you with his joy, filling you with his Holy Spirit, that helper that he promised them on that night in which he was betrayed, that he would send to guide us into all truth. It's important that we go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says, Terry, make sure you get a tank full of this, and that's what's going to happen. In verse 50, now, Luke's gospel jumps 40 days right here between verse 49 and 50. Forty days later, and he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. And now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen? Woo! Okay, so... He, he, he ascended. This is called the ascension. And now he is in heaven, bodily, body, soul, and spirit, king of heaven, interceding on behalf of the saints, pulling the strings, calling the shots. He's ruling over everything, and he's finishing up that work which he began in us, okay? And, uh, and so what did they do? They worship him. They worship Him and they praise and they bless. This is the testimony of a soul saved by grace. It's a testimony of worship. It's a testimony of praise. It's a testimony of blessing. If you are a Christian, it will show. You'll be happy and you know it. <laughs> Clap your hands. And finally, it's appropriate that this Sunday, as we conclude the book of Luke, we conclude expounding the Scriptures, worshiping and witnessing our risen Lord and Jesus Christ. It's appropriate that as we conclude Luke, we kick off another school year. We kick off our youth ministries. We kick off King's Kids on Sunday at 10. We kick off 
King's Kids Clubhouse on Wednesdays, and also Living Waters Youth on Wednesdays. We kick off Veritas Homeschool Resource Group. We kick off Christian Ed. And how do we kick off all those things? The same as we did this morning, expounding on the Scriptures and witnessing and worshiping our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up your name, high and holy, that all the world would see your love, your mercy, your grace, your hope. Help us, Lord, to be vessels of your grace. Sinners, yes, but saved by grace. And that as we are filled with this treasure, while we are yet hard-pressed and attacked in the world, that your light would shine through. That the world would see there's something different about a Christian. That the world would desire that light in this dark world. And they would seek as Peter admonished us, to look to the sure word of prophecy that we would do well to heed your word as the light shines and dawns in the darkness of our hearts. Now we pray that you would dismiss us to this meal. We pray a blessing over everybody who's brought food, everybody who has set up, everybody who's serving, everybody who will tear down, and on the sweet fellowship they were about to partake, breaking bread with you, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us now through the breaking of bread in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.